I don't always like what he says and I don't always get something out of what he says or Kevin or Joel or anybody else who's up there preaching sometimes. It's all just confounding to me. So what's my problem? That'd be a good approach to take it on yourself, not to put it on to somebody else. Amen. You know, the Bible says work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Wow. What's that mean? So some of you might be here to be entertained, and I never want to do that. Just don't really want to do it. Let me ask you a question. If you'll reference on your bulletin, I've got a couple questions there. And what I hope to do is when we do the bulletin like that, um, put some questions in. You've noticed I've been doing that for quite a while. The reason that I do that is because I want you to actually consider the sermon beyond what you hear. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to interact with it somewhere down the road. And um, so what's better, the beginning or the end? What do you think? What's better, the beginning or the end? The end here, the beginning in heaven. How many of you really want to go to heaven? How many of you want to go like right now? Bypass all kinds of therapies and cancer treatments and surgeries and hospital visits and stays and... Because that's not normally what we do. We invest ourselves a lot in getting a cure right here and right now. See? So is it the end or the beginning? It's kind of amazing. Have you ever thought about that cycle of life? How we start out having to have somebody take care of us and nurture us and how we end up having to have somebody take care of us and nurture us? My goal is not to live so long as that I have to have anybody do the things that they did to me when I was an infant. Get my point? Lord, rescue me. If you don't come before then, don't let me live so long that I become some... No, I don't want to do that, God. I want to go out in a blaze of glory. I want to go out in strength. So, you know, truly, when I go, don't weep for me unless I'm 90. (laughs) You can weep for me. What's better, the beginning or the end? Do you know the Bible actually says what's better? And there is a little twist on there to be able to say, well, this is better or this is better. Uh, The beginning is really cool. The first love principle, the first time you met when your, you know, fireworks went off and you guys, you know, we're tongue-tied. You didn't know how to act. You got, you know, the armpits were sweaty and all that stuff. Think about that. That was the beginning. There was something like that. And sometimes some of us could go back and say, I wish it could have stayed like that somehow. But the honeymoon, it did end. See, and the honeymoon of life. And maybe when commencement happened, if it was high school, if it was college, when when the big promotion came and there was this enthusiasm and excitement. And how many have noticed those moments don't last? And so somehow we're always in the beginning and we're always in the end. There's something that is, is going away because the Bible says, Ecclesiastes says that there's seasons. Time to plant and the time to uproot, right? So here's what, uh, here's what Ezekiel says. It was actually part of a slide that was on the wall, too, I happened to see. So uh, I want you to get this. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 36. If you're taking notes, let me give you the Scripture references real quick. And uh, key portions will be on the wall. That will help steer us this morning. So the first one is Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 36. The, the next Scripture is going to be Philippians chapter 3. And specifically, it'll be verses uh, 3, I'm sorry, uh, verses 1 all the way through 21. 
And then the last one's going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 to 18. Okay, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you just the key phrase to that sums up those three passages. And when you see them, it leads us to new life. It leads us into what God wants us to, to live our lives according to. So if you ever thought the Bible's just a mystery and who can know it, who can understand it, the preacher's here to help with that this morning. Are you at Ezekiel? That's in back. If you find Psalms and Proverbs and you keep going, you'll get into the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then there's Ezekiel. I'm reading out of the version which is called The Message, only because of its modern-day language. That's what I'm using this morning. Therefore, you should go back and read what it's saying, therefore. That's what's coming in the first 21 verses. Therefore, tell Israel, my people, people of God, Message of God, the master. I'm not doing this for you, people. I'm doing it for me to save my character, my holy name, which you've blackened in every country where you've gone. I'm going to put my great and holy name on display, the name that has been ruined in so many countries, the name that you blackened wherever you went. Then the nations will realize who I really am, that I am God, when I show my holiness through you so that they can see it with their own eyes. For here's what I'm going to do. Everyone know what God's going to do? So here he tells you a little snippet. A God who is ever-present, who says he's the same in the beginning, the middle, and the end, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. How's that? He says that I will do this. It's all what he's doing. Do you get the point? How many of you have been living life so much that it's a matter of what you can do? It's a matter of your own strength, your own gifts, your own talent, your own knowledge. And what God's saying is, give that to me. I'm going to do this. Why will I do it? Because my character's on the line. When you're a Christian and when you have Christ in your heart and you live to, to declare that to people, to be a witness, to, to, to bleed out, to influence, guess what? It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to him. You declare yourself great through my... I make proclamations. I can't back that up. You can. It's important. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and make you possible to, to, to do what I tell you and live by my commands. Verse 28, you'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I'll be your God. Now, let me make a, a, a point. When he says Israel, he means Israel. There's a fulfillment of that coming down the pike that, that is specific to Israel. But I want to tell you that we're in America. I was born in this great country. There have been men and women who have shed their blood so that I could enjoy the freedoms that we have in this country. 
Uh, this to me is a current word for me, and it's a matter of being where I'm at. Where God brings me back isn't a country or a nation, though it implies that, says it here, that is also a place of our inheritance. There's a big general word here talking about the fact that we'll be the sheep of his pasture and he'll be the shepherd of that. Understand that before any nations, before any kingdoms, it's all his. So it comes down to being people, not just segmented into Gentiles or barbarians or into Romans or into any kind of nation at all. It comes down into, for God so loved the world. So it's, it's everyone. So that's what God wants to do. So he says, you'll be my people, I'll be your God. Guess what? He wants everybody. Isn't that what the, the, the promise or threat is? When it says in the end, guess what? Everybody who's always claimed other gods, guess what happens? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I love that he doesn't say that in some, you know, big baseball bat kind of way. He just says, it's who I am. I can't help myself. It's what's going to happen. And meanwhile, go ahead, perverting countries can go on with making those choices, which are not the choices that I've told you to live by. But here's the deal. If you'll come to him, he'll put his heart in you. He'll put his spirit in you. And then what happens is you won't live the self-willed life anymore. You're going to live a God-willed life. How many need more of the will of God in their life? Amen. So it says, I'll put you, in verse 29, I love this, I'll put you out of that stinking pollution. I'll give you personal orders. I'll give personal orders to the wheat fields, telling them to grow bumper crops. I'll send no more famines. I'll make sure your fruit trees and field crops flourish. Other nations won't be able to hold you in contempt again, because of famine. And then you'll think back over your terrible lives, the evil, the shame, and be thoroughly disgusted with yourselves, realizing how badly you've lived, all those obscenities you've carried out. I'm not doing this for you. Get this through your thick heads. Shame on you. What a mess you've made of things. Israel, people, America, message of God, the master. On the day I scrub you clean from all your filthy living, I'll also make your cities livable. The ruins will be rebuilt. The neglected land will be worked again, no longer overgrown with weeds and thistles, worthless in the eyes of passerby. People will exclaim, why, this weed patch has been turned into a garden of Eden, and the ruined cities smashed into oblivion are now thriving. The nations around you that are still in existence will realize that I, God, rebuild ruins and replant empty waste places. I, God, said so, and I'll do it. Wow, you want to know the principle behind that scripture? Here it is. Trust God, Philippians 1.6. What's that say? He, God, who began a good work in you, will continue it, perfect it, even right up to the return and the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, trust God, parentheses, Philippians 1, 6, to act according to his integrity. That's what he's telling you. My, 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 me, I, I'm going to, I'll do this. Wow, according to his integrity. Receive his benefits. That's all we have to do. Remember the, the video we watched says it was just a matter of receiving his grace. It's something we didn't deserve. 
I got a lot of gifts for Christmas I, I don't think I deserved. Okay, I thought I deserved one of them. But it was a gift, free gift. Receive his benefits. Be God-willed. These are lessons for life. Trust God. Act according to, I'm sorry, trust God to act according to his integrity. Receive his benefits. Be God-willed. You heard all that stuff about being, how do you call it? Oh, the obscenities that we carried out, thick-headed. We need to repent. Because some of us are like that. Some of us go back into that kind of stuff all the time, don't we? It's repetitive. How many of you know your sin is repetitive? It keeps smacking you in the face. Even though you don't want to go there. It's something. If it's a matter of not being able to tame your tongue, the things you say, the attitudes that come out. Repent. And then the last thing is enjoy. How's that? Well, if you do all those other things, what you'll find is life, there'll be more joy to life. You'll enjoy life more just by doing those things, trusting God, because you'll stop doing the wringing of hands thing. You won't have the stress of, you know, drenched armpits kind of thing. You won't have the calamity of your life trying to always work it out, make it happen. And what will happen is part of that will bring peace where all of a sudden you have a contentment. It says that godliness with contentment is great gain. We go out possessing, thinking we're going to own the stuff by buying it, purchasing it, getting it on 24 months, no interest kind of stuff. I'm telling you, that's not where you're going to ever find joy. You're going to find happiness. You're not going to enjoy life. You'll, you'll continue in this downward spiral like a commode, your life being flushed. Adam says, move on. Get this through your thick heads. You got that point? Trust God to act according to his integrity. Receive his benefits. Be God-willed. Repent and enjoy. When I first got saved, I didn't know how to receive. Somebody wanted to help me out. Somebody wanted to bless me. Somebody wanted to give me something. Hey, I'm a self-made man. I never got nothing from nobody. So when somebody in the church and all their little goodness and they started wanting to offer me stuff and give me things and I was like, you know, what do you think? I'm a charity case? You know, I don't need your charity. I don't need nothing. I don't need nobody. And boy, they, you know, just talked about robbing them of the blessing. And I I just think it was a work of God in my heart that he spoke to me about being able to receive. Well, there's other people I've met who are on the opposite side. All they do is ever take. They're only on the receiving end. Well, they could use a little bit of the other side, learn how to give, even give out of your poverty. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. You might have heard the sermon before. You've heard the points before. You've read the scripture before. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Our whole world is established on what our own abilities and and capabilities are. We got to be careful, folks, to be able to be courageous and bold and and go after it and live life large, but also is to recognize that we're but dust. There's a fine line in there for a Christian. 
put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, because why? He says, if anybody has that right, I do. Because he's circumcised of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous, a persecutor of the church. Wow. According to the law, found blameless, he says. So he says, if anybody could boast that way and have some confidence in right living and doing the things that I thought were right. And if you know Paul's story, when he was blinded, God told him that he wasn't really on the right path at all. He was persecuting the way. So here it is, verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. Do you get it? It's not the way we prop ourselves up with these rubber crutches in life, thinking that our possessions and that the things that we own and our value comes from our portfolio somehow. It's not any of that. Instead, it's a matter of possessing all wealth, yet trading it all in. Why? Because that never bought me anything. It never did anything for me. Hello, I'm not going to stand here and boast, but I've been there, done that. Moved a family of four to Bible school in what could have been a 14-foot extended van. Didn't take much. It's weird. Back then, when I was still being refined, I took my, my beer mug collection with me to Bible school. That was interesting. Sat up right above the what used to be the old tabernacle or church where we had church services. Sat there in our storage bin for a while until God convinc- convicted me that I didn't need those German mugs and those Avon, Avon mugs and I didn't need all those other little collector trinkets. Get rid of those things. That's the work of God in us is that we just start out and we bring what we got and sometimes it's flawed. And then he'll speak to us. And because we're God-willed, not self-willed, guess what will happen? He'll begin to take those things that we so, so much valued and treasured, and they'll become, what the, the song says, strangely dim in light of who he is. So all of a sudden, those things don't hold its value anymore. I don't take such pleasure in them anymore. There's some of you in the room that I've had conversations with. I know that that's part of your frustration with life. You don't seem to be able to enjoy those things anymore. Guess what? That's a work of God in your heart. So he says, not that I've already obtained it or already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know every person in the room has an upward call? of God in Christ Jesus. You'll have a special purpose and a destiny and a plan that God has for your life. And I'm going to tell you, if you're still breathing, God's still got a plan operating for you. Now, I want to tell you this too, because it's honest. The devil has a scheme 
for you. Hear the difference? One's a scheme and one's a plan. The, the, the devil's scheme is to steal, kill, and destroy, to kick your butt and leave you, leave you down worthless and hopeless and maybe even have you take your own life. That's his plan. But God's plan is for you to thrive. God's plan is for that light in you to shine. His plan is for you to prosper. We'll see that coming up here shortly. So here it is. You can read all the way down to 21. I'm going to get to the point so I can move on. Here it is. The, the synopsis out of Philippians chapter 3 is stay focused. Stay God-focused. Stay God-focused. You know what that means? You can't have a wandering eye. You ever know anybody who has a wandering eye? I used to. I had a brother-in-law who had a wandering eye. Couldn't tell if he was talking to them or talking to them. What do I mean by a wandering eye for us? The idea is, is that we continue to take our, 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 our gaze off the cross. We continue to take our gaze from being fixed on him to begin to be distracted by all the other little hors d'oeuvres of life. You know what will help orient you toward God? is the Bible, reading the Bible, prayer, meeting together in homes and sharing and picking up a phone and calling and saying, tell me something about God. Tell me something about the Bible. That's just a little thing that we could do. We actually have, you see it in your bulletins, it's called Reflect. Every, every person in here could host this thing because I can give you the materials that empowers you to ask the right questions. I'm looking for people who will lead these groups and just have a little time. It's a whole year-long process. Guess what? I don't know of anybody who wants to have a weekly meeting for the whole year. But if some of you will step forward and say, hey, I'll do, I'll do once a month or I'll do a couple times a month, we'll circulate that. And guess what? Get there. We need them everywhere. And then it's not just for us. It's for you guys to invite your neighbors and friends and say, you ever read the Bible? Yeah. Have you read it in its entirety? No. Guess what? I'd love for you to join me, and we're going to read the Bible in its entirety. What a blast to be able to say I read the Bible in its entirety. Fifteen minutes a day, every day, 15 minutes, that's all. And you'll read the Bible through this next year. In 2013, you'll say that you've been for once in your whole life, you can say I read the whole Bible. Wow, I know tons of people who've never read the whole Bible. Some of you are in the room, right? Be honest. So stay God-focused, pursue Christ. You know what pursue Christ means? Be a stalker. Stalk him. Search for him. Look for him. Listen for him. Pursue Christ. The last one is anticipate heaven. Anticipate heaven. Do you know what? I didn't go there. The last part. Let me read it first, verse 20 here. Verse 19, uh, 18 through 20. I'm going to read that. Many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. See, it's painful when you see somebody who's lost, who's going around that, that wilderness thing all over again, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power, of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So guess what? 
If you guys really live according to that, stay God-focused, pursue Christ, anticipate heaven. Could happen at any given moment. You'll never be caught by surprise by whatever happens around us. Guess why? Because I'm not beholding to this life. So it doesn't matter if, if we go off the fiscal cliff. Oh, sure, it's going to cost somebody some money and all that, but guess what? My daddy, he's the one who owns all the hills that all the cattle are on to begin with. I have no fears. He said in his word, which I just read, you won't suffer the famine. What does that mean? Because he's your provider. So even though famine should come, do you understand that's how, he, how, how Israel got in bondage and became slaves? Is that they went looking in famine, they went looking into Egypt, they went into their gods and said, feed us. Instead of turning to their God and saying, feed us. So they ended up 400 years in bondage and slavery. How many years are you going to continue like that? Nope. Give me the three day. I want the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Do it now. Make a decision. Anticipate heaven. That means I'm not living for here. I'm not storing up my treasures in this life, in this world. I've, I've got bigger plans. God has bigger plans. Okay, the last one, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This finishes pretty quick here. Ready? Here's what, uh, here's what Scripture says. I told you it says which one's better, beginning or ending. Here's where it says it. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. Finishing is better than starting. How's that for clear? No questions. No dilemma. That's just what it is. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. How many of you find yourself there, wishing, longing for the good old days? What was so good about them? I mean, look what the calamity that happened next. You seriously want to relive that? The good old days. (sighs) No thanks. If I could pluck that out and just say here without that, then maybe I would. But the good old days in the end, they weren't so good because something they passed. And in the passing, it was maybe like a kidney stone. There was some pain that it brought. Anybody want to really go through that again? No. I tell people, we're not going to, I don't want you to, especially marriage counseling, I don't want you to go back to what you had. That wasn't good enough. It left you into the calamity where you're having to see a marriage counselor. I want you to go better than, I want you to go where you've never been yet in your relationship, in your love. Why would I want to take you back to something that you've already been down and know the outcome of it? Let's go onward and upward. So don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. How many didn't know the Bible said that? Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. The Bible doesn't declare that you have to be impoverished. All these things that I'm telling you, it doesn't say that you have to live. You have to have a heart that is not set on these things. And when you do, God will bless you and he'll entrust you with those things. Some of you found that out, haven't you? Living successful lives, being, being benefited. Hey, good. You're a conduit for God's, God's blessings. 12, verse 12 says, Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Sometimes that's what I talk about when I talk about prayer. Don't tell me how to pray. Let's ask God how he wants us to pray. He says, pray then in this way. And somewhere in there says, not my will, but your will 
be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That might be just one small adjustment some of us could make. Stop telling God what to do like you're the boss. Verse 14, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. I like what the message in that version says right there in verse 14 says, um, don't take life for granted. Is that what it says? No, that's a different version. That's okay. Pardon? Yeah, the bulletin is the one. Thank you. In the bulletin, it says, don't take life for granted. The question that follows up in the bulletin asks you what you're taking for granted. We start taking each other for granted. You know that, don't you? We start taking husbands and wives. We take our children for granted. And then when they're gone, what happens? We realize just how great it was. So treasure the moment, right? So remember that nothing is certain. Don't take life or people for granted. And then verse 15 and following. I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Don't you love that? How many of you striving to be righteous drives yourself nuts and finally just pushes it all away and says, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not doing nothing. Some of you have been, come, you've come back, you prodigals. Been there, done that. Got frustrated with trying to be good enough and make it on your own. And you found God just waiting there saying, I was watching for you. I never gave up on you. I've always believed in you. And I never have changed your destiny. Still got a plan for you. Oh, it's a marvelous plan. Here's here's the last portion of this, the synopsis of Ecclesiastes 7. Enjoy life with balance and fear God. How about that? That's what all those verses really boils down to. Enjoy life with balance and fear God. How many of you have good balance in your lives? Anybody? Pretty good balance. You're pretty happy with your balance. Anybody? There's a few of you. Yeah. How many of you have not always lived in balance? (laughs) Well, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Your word is powerful, God. It says all that and then some. Father, we would do so well if we could actually just, boom, jettison all the stuff. Sometimes I love how you you do a cleansing that uh, blessing comes through the rain or the blessing comes through a flood or the blessing comes through a fire. We got rid of stuff that we would never would have surrendered. How tragic that it had to come to that. And God said, I'm not going to blame you for the things that are tragedies and crisis, but in the end, come on, you allowed it or you caused it. And I'm okay with that because you got a good reason. You got purpose and you got wisdom that you're the source of all wisdom. So God, let it be that, I mean, come on, it says that who could straighten out what you've made crooked? So in the end, you call us to bow. You call us to surrender. You call us to look to you as the author of the book of our life. You got it all figured out. You'll handle it. 
just like a good parent, without the flaws of humanity. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want you to consider what you're supposed to do with all the preaching, all the words, with those three little details from the Scripture. That doesn't mean you go quit your profitable job where you've been able to do, to, to, to have influence and, and have a good life. It doesn't mean all that stuff. It doesn't mean all of a sudden to go around, woe is me, and look at what I did to, for the cause of Christ. Instead, it says, you know, let's ask God what he's putting his finger on. Just let's ask him not for five things, maybe not even three things. Let's just ask him for one thing. And what is it, God? Lead me, God, according to your greatness. Let it not be something that happened to me. I love your word that we we read today that says, I'm going to do this through you. I'll do it for myself. I'll be doing it, but I'm going to do it through you. Some of us missed that today. Through you? Me? Huh? Yeah, you. God wants you to leak. He wants you to influence. He wants to use a healing word coming through you, a cleansing word coming through your life. Would you just do that kind of, um, maybe this way, That's a, isn't this universal surrender here? <laughs> I have no weapons. Battery's getting weak, it's time to end. Surrender, God. I surrender those things that you've already spoken to me. I don't need the preacher to tell me. I don't need conviction. I don't hear over and over. I don't need anymore. 